You are listening to Spot On, a health and wellness podcast that breaks through the latest media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji-Blake, a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition and You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. Hello, Spot On listeners. I'm so excited that you're with us today. And boy, this is a topic that I needed more information about. Um, what is what are these fermented foods and what is the kombucha and the kimchi and you know I, I what is this and what does it really do for us you know we had a wonderful segment on spot on the last season about the microbiome and so we know about prebiotics but we don't know much about these fermented foods so today i brought in the rock star of it. This is uh, Dr. Christopher Gardner. He holds a PhD in nutrition science and is a professor of medicine at Stanford. Uh, he's done over 25 years of research examining, you know, what to eat and what to avoid for optimum health. But he recently now, his, his interest now is all about the effect of the diet on the gut microbiome and immune system. And he just published a landmark study up on this topic with some fabulous other researchers that I know um, at Stanford in a journal called Cell. And we're going to talk a little bit about that study, but I brought him on here because, you know, um, he knows what he's talking about. So Dr. Christopher Gardner, I want to welcome you to Spot On. Joan, thanks for having me today. This should be fun. Oh, it's going to be fun. So, so um, Dr. Christopher, I, 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 as I mentioned before, we um, have had a, you know, want a session on a microbiome, an episode, I should say. But can you just like, quickly just rehash what is the what the heck the microbiome is, just for people who uh, may have forgotten? Yeah, absolutely. So the fun part about this is the folks that are microbiologists now like to make the claim that the humans are more bacteria than they are human, sort of based on the number of cells. So you gotta understand that these microbes are super small. And so there are trillions of them in the human body, but they're really tiny. So if you, you sort of wanna go cells of bacteria and cells of humans, yeah, there's more bacteria. But if it was really by weight, no, no, no. By weight, we are mostly human. There's really small amounts all over the place. There's some on, their on our skin, in our mouth, uh, in kind of any crevice that you can imagine. The highest concentration of them, interestingly, is in the human colon, in the gut. So as you go all the way down the gut from your stomach to your small intestine to your large intestine, interestingly, these are bugs that are anaerobic, and that term means that they function without oxygen, so they don't mind being buried in the juices of your colon. And they love chewing up anything that you and I have eaten that didn't get digested and absorbed in the upper small intestine, which is where we get all our nutrients. And so typically what they get is the fiber that by definition, we don't have the enzymes to break down. It goes to our colon. A lot of us think it just helps us keep our poop moving down the pipe so we can get rid of it. It adds some nice bulk and things like that. But that fiber is feeding this really diverse community that lives in our gut. So that's 
The main interest right now is, even though the bacteria are all over the place, the main interest is in the gut microbiome. Yeah, it sounds like this bacteria are on the whole stop food waste bandwagon here. In other words, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I'm two for the price of one here. So there they go. So they're going to take what what is maybe we don't digest uh, as efficiently, and they're going to use it, and and they're going to feed off it. It sounds like they're having a party down there. And, And that helps them to multiply? It does, um, and and they are hungry. So so here's an interesting sideline to this, Joan. Is we think that the bugs, in the absence of fiber, get super hungry, and it turns out that we have a mucus li- lining in our gut, this slimy thing that's very protective of us. So that if we have re- eaten something nasty, it doesn't bother us. We just poop it out. But if if we haven't eaten a lot of fiber, and the microbiome guts are getting hungry. They actually tend to eat that mucus lining, which has a lot of carbohydrate in it, and we get thinning of this protective lining. And we think this is part of what leaky gut syndrome is about. I don't know if you've ever covered that on any of your snap-ons, but the other thing that this is related to is immune function. So this is probably pro-inflammatory. It raises our inflammatory state. So you want to keep these little guys and girls happy in your gut. Otherwise, they're just going to be starving and start eating you from the inside out a little bit. Okay. So that's a, that's a visual that I'm just loving here. <laughs> so, so here we go here. So th- and that makes sense. You know, it's one of those situations where, look, if you don't feed them, they're going to they're gonna feed off you. So yeah, what's your choice here? So in other words, feed them what they need because they want to keep that slimy barrier, the microbiome really, really healthy. And so that maybe stuff that doesn't need to go at works at the barrier, so that doesn't have to cross it. And maybe we know so much about how you said it's related to immune system and whatever. Okay, so we we got the microbiome, and we know that you know you have to feed them with fiber. But don't you also have to add these bacteria? Right, we have to give them diversity down there. What's the story with that? Yeah, so this is what the microbiologists are concerned about now. And Joan, for this, you kind of have to look globally and you have to look over time. So there are hundreds of species of bacteria in your gut. And there are people who quantify how diverse this microbiome is. And just to, to sort of give you an oversimplified version of this, the more diverse, likely, the healthier you are. And the more depleted your diversity is, It's been linked to higher inflammation and worse health outcomes. And part of this really comes from some fascinating global work where scientists like Justin Sonnenberg and his wife, Erica Sonnenberg, have looked at traditional indigenous cultures. There are not many left in the world, but the folks out there that are hunters and gatherers, they actually hunt and gather a lot of of high fiber foods. They eat sometimes, for some of the groups they've looked at, 100 grams of fiber a day, I think your listeners probably know that Americans are stuck at about the 15 gram a day range, even though we recommend 35 to 40. They have a very diverse microbiome. And if you go to the Hadza or Papua New Guinea or or other populations, it's fascinating. The Sonnenbergs have documented that their microbiomes are quite similar to one another, even though they're on different parts of the planet. If you compare those to any industrialized population, all over the world where we've gone urban and we have a lot more junk food and convenience food. It's a different profile of microbiome and the diversity is down. It's depleted. 
And one of the things that the Sonnenbergs are studying are can we restore the microbiome? They also do, Joan, a lot of mouse work. And so in a mouse model, you can have multiple generations and run through them in a much shorter time than you could with humans. And when they do experiments with mice and they use a Western-style diet versus a more diverse plant-based diet, they see some of these bacteria species going extinct in the mice. And in some places, in some, in some strategies, you can restore them. And in others, they can't. And they're a little panicked that if we keep up this urban diet, we are going to lose some of these strains of bacteria, not be able to restore them or revive them, and really lose some of the possible benefits unless we go the route I'm going to guess your, learn, your listeners have heard of these fecal transplants. Boy, doesn't that sound yeah. yummy. Or yeah. taking mm-hmm. poop pills. We're going to have the mm. people with the best poop poop mm. into pills, and then we can swallow their pills. Could Don't you want to avoid the fecal transplant and the poop pills? Don't you want to just keep your microbiome diverse and happy now? So that's kind of where we're headed yeah. here. You know, I'm Italian, so I, I'll usually eat anything, but I think I'm stopping at the poop pills. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think, yeah. That, yeah, that'll me take too. your appetite right away. Um, so so in this study, this is a fabulous, fabulous study that you um printed in or printed or published in the journal Cell. Can you tell us what happened in this study? Because it's very so interesting. Yep. And I, I do want to give you a little background before I start the study that my buddy who works in mice was really excited to do humans. And he he he's terrified of humans. Humans are a pain in the ass. They don't show up. They cancel. They don't do what you say. And I told him, I thought poop was icky. And so we actually have this sort of marriage made in heaven. He doesn't want to work with humans and I don't want to work with poop, but we both like doing the opposite. So I said, sure, I will take, I will take these results from your mouse studies. And I think we could do this with humans because it really just has to do with that term you used before the prebiotic. And the probiotic is what we refer to as the foods that contain live bacteria. So think of prebiotics as just sources of fiber to feed the bacteria that already reside in your gut. And think of probiotics as the fermented foods that still have live bacteria. And there's five that I think most many Americans are willing to consume, maybe not all. And that really boils down to yogurt, kefir, sauerkraut, kimchi, and kombucha. There are some other things, but those are the five. And so it was really funny in the beginning, Joan, that Justin said, look, I've been doing this in mice for a long time. I really don't think this fermented food thing is going to work. I don't think we need to give them any more bacteria. I just think we need to feed them fiber. So can you do a fiber study with me? I said, no, 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 no. This is like a natural question. People are out there and they don't even know what prebiotics and probiotics are. They don't even know how to differentiate them. Let's Let's do a study that has both prebiotics and probiotics so we can inform the American public and others what this thing is about. And he's kind of reluctantly agreed. So we decided to get 36 people. Well, that's not what we decided. That's how many we got. And we randomly assigned half to, now get ready for this, eat as much fiber as humanly possible and as much fermented food as humanly possible. And in my kind of work, Joan, I, I'm just going to push your listeners to, to think about this for a while. What dose do you pick? This is one of the hardest things in nutrition science is if you have a question about some food or some nutrient that might be helpful, there's kind of an infinite number of 
doses that you could give and, and they might end up with different meanings. And so a strategy that I have is, uh, and I've learned this over time, that if you, if, you, if you feel like, oh, I don't wanna push them too hard, let's not make them eat too much. And you do that and you get your results of your trial and you see that you've kind of perturbed the system a little and you have a little response. It's not statistically significant. You have to write up your paper and say, maybe I didn't give them enough. And you write the people who write grants and you say, look, it almost worked. Can you give me another million yeah. dollars yeah. and I'll just try yeah, twice wait by as the mailbox much? And they say, yeah. Yeah, we're not giving you any more money. So one of my strategies is to push things a little and say, look, okay, if I got a result with this amount, then they might give me more money to say, oh, could I still get it with half as much? So I was able to convince my friends, the Sonnenberg. I just want to tell everyone that they are his partners in crime, Justin and Erica Sonnenberg, and they have been doing this forever. I actually met him years ago, and he is a wonderful person and researcher. And I can see as he's a little bit more quieter than you are. So I can see why this is a marriage made in heaven between uh, you, uh, him, and his wife. <laughs> okay. So we decide. So he said, Christopher, you're the human guy. You decide what the humans do. And I said, all right. So why don't we try to get people who currently eat what the American public eats, something like 15 grams a day. And let's try to get them to eat 40 grams a day, which is doubling or more. And I, we're probably going to get some pushback. But Joan, I have in my back pocket a diet whisperer. Her name is Dahlia Perlman. She has a master's degree. She's a certified diabetes educator. She is just a master of convincing people to change their diet. And she did. She got these 18 people over four weeks to ramp up, that's what we call it, and and move up to eight, about 40 grams a day of fiber and hold that for six weeks after they got there and we collect blood and poop while they're doing it. Now, the so the other side of the coin is how many servings of fermented food a day. And it really was not hard finding people who don't eat any. Most of the people around us, I, I think of all the people who recruited, the average was about a half a serving a day. And then we had to decide how many servings a day should we push them to eat? One, two, three. Moment of pause. Let's just have some drama here. Let's everybody think, God, how many could I eat? One, two, three, four. Okay, go. Six servings a day, Joan. We asked them to eat six servings a day and we made the number up. We just said, what should we ask them to do? And we didn't totally make it up. So picture this also. So well, first of all, I just want to clarify for everybody that's listening. Okay. The fermented foods uh, is, is really is where the, the probiotics are in the fermented foods, correct? Yeah, the bacteria are in those. Okay, there you go. Okay, because I'll, okay, great. Okay, so, so you got you one for six, good for you. So here, and here's the rationale. So I know that sounds kind of overwhelming, but, you know, given that you're a nutrition expert, you can appreciate this as well as I can, that servings are kind of random. Right. In the field of nutrition, the stuff that they put on the labels of food is kind of hokey sometimes what a serving is. So let's translate that actually into calories. And for many of the different combinations of six servings a day, it was only about 300 calories. So we're actually only for somebody who eats 2,500 calories a day, just to pick a rough number, that's like an eighth of what they eat all day. And, and let me tell you how you could do it. You could have a cup of yogurt for breakfast. And you could have for lunch 
uh, a half a cup of kimchi. Kimchi is this marvelous fermented cabbage dish that uh, in Asian populations is quite popular. And there, there isn't any one kind. It's quite spicy. Uh, quite a few people have trouble with it because it's so spicy. But if anybody wants, any of your listeners want to go do this, there's many kinds. You shouldn't, if you, you shouldn't try one kimchi and say, oh my God, it's too spicy. I can't do this. Try, try multiple kinds and, and see, because there's a lot of people who enjoy, especially Asian cultures. But if you try it long enough and, and develop an affinity, you might like this kimchi. Could be a half a cup of sauerkraut with your dinner. And over the course of the day, you got one of those bottles of kombucha that at least in my neck of the woods, they're selling everywhere. And those bottles all have two servings. Oh, and a kombucha, again, is the fermented tea, right? Yeah, I got, I'm making it in my, right here. I got it right by my right shoulder. I make a batch of kombucha every week. It's super easy. It takes me half an hour and I throw in some tea and some sugar and I throw in my SCOBY, which is the symbiotic um, culture of bacteria and yeast, which makes the acronym SCOBY. I let it ferment for a week. I pour it into bottles. I rebottle it. I put in a little flavoring like pomegranate syrup and black cherry syrup, and I have pomegranate black cherry kombucha tea. Wow. Okay. We got, you know something? We're going to try to find a kombucha recipe, put it up on the spot on Facebook page. So good. You got me hooked here. Okay. So that's six servings. It, it, oh. it isn't. And so people didn't find it that hard. We actually got pretty much all 18 people up to six servings a day. We gave them four weeks to build up to that. And then they stuck with it for six weeks. And at the end, before we finish up, I want to let you know that the study design also included going back three weeks, four weeks after the study was over, asking them what they were eating after we said the study's all over. And, and we'll have an interesting follow up with that. But that was the basic design, four weeks to ramp up, either eat 40 grams of fiber a day or six servings a day of fermented food bleed for us, poop for us, we'll store it, we'll archive it, and when the study's all done, we'll look at it and see what happened. Is that enough of an idea of what this study's about? Yeah, that's pretty much, well, now I gotta find out. I'm dying to find out what happened. Okay, so I sent Justin and Erica the results. And uh, yeah, and Justin writes me back and says, did you mix up which group is which? Because we get, we're having, seeing something really interesting happening with one group, which I'm sure is the fiber group, but you told me it was the fermented group. So please check your data and see if it was the right group. And sure enough, it was. And so this is actually different than what he had been finding in the mice. So we really don't have time in the show to give you all the details. So let me give you the highlights. They, in the fermented group, they increased their microbial diversity. So there were sort of new bacteria strains that had not been there before the study. When they quantified them, they found out quite a few did not seem to come from the fermented foods that they ate. This was one of the most extraordinary findings. They actually went out because we have all our participants logging what brand they bought. So they went out and bought the same brands of kombucha, kefir, yogurt, sauerkraut, kimchi. They checked out the bacterial strains that were there and 95% of the bacterial strains that they identified as newly arising were not from the foods. And this brings up the complexity that we don't really understand, Joan. So I hope your listeners will understand this. 
there's probably a lot of bacteria in our gut that's at a, such a low level that we can't detect it. And then if you start changing that community and changing what you're feeding, some of those sort of bloom. I think that's honestly the technical term, the microbial word world. You would see this bloom of different strains of bacteria that were previously undetected because you've changed their community with what you're giving so them. So I so it's like they were maybe they they are one you know group of a small group of friends and then all of a sudden you introduce them to more friends and they all came out they bloomed and got excited is this what's happening here I think they were being bullied before honestly uh, if we want to get into bullying here yes. they're probably here being go. bullied into not blooming and then right. when we introduced these new gatekeepers <gasps> that opportunity arose and not only did we see that increase in microbial diversity but we were looking at a panel of many inflammatory markers, probably about 90, and 20 of the inflammatory markers dropped in that group, decreased, and decreasing your inflammation should be a healthy thing. And so it looked like they had an immune function benefit, they increased their diversity, and it was, it was really a striking finding, which is probably why we got this published in a nice journal. And yet, should we talk fiber now? The fiber, they were really surprised that we didn't see much of a signal in changing the diversity. So we were changing the fuel that we were providing them or increasing the fuel. Uh, but overall, there didn't seem to be a change. There didn't seem to be a change in inflammatory markers. They didn't really seem to go up or down. But we had a fabulous uh, PhD student working on this, Hannah Wastick, who is the lead author of this paper. So I certainly want to give her a shout out. And what she got when she dug a little deeper was it looked like there were almost three subsets in the fiber group. One that seemed to benefit, one that didn't do either better or worse, and one that got worse. She looked a little harder at this and what she came up with, and this is the way we've explained it, the group that actually got harmed by this and their inflammation actually went up a little bit, had very low microbial diversity to begin with, lower than the others. And so the idea here is that if you do have this compromised microbiome with low diversity and you start throwing buckets of fiber down there, it's a little overwhelming, like, whoa, we weren't ready to chew this stuff up, hang on. And kind of had a negative reaction to it. Whereas you looked at the ones who had greater microbial diversity, they actually handled, handled it quite well and their inflammatory markers went down, but they canceled each other out in that group. So when we had to report the results of the entire group, it looked like there weren't improvements there. If you dug a little deeper, you could see subsets of people who benefited and subsets of people who didn't do as well. And the Sonnenberg came up with this, I, I think in a really elegant interpretation of this, if you wanna you know, get the take home message for your listeners was that the benefits of the fermented food seem very consistent. Not everybody ate the same thing. Some people didn't like kimchi. Some people didn't like sauerkraut. Some people didn't like kombucha. And, and we didn't require them to consume any one thing. We just said six servings a day of whatever you feel more comfortable with. And across the board, they all seemed to do better. So as a public health message, that seemed like, wow, uh, we're recommending people eat more fermented food. And we actually had fantastic follow-up. We had an article in the New York Times about the study and we, they got so much feedback about this. A week or two later, they had another article in the New York Times giving the practical implications 
of where to find these fermented foods and recipes and things like that. On the flip side for the fiber, there's a lot of talk these days, Joan, and I'm sure you're aware of it, of personalized or precision nutrition. Oh, we don't have the same advice for everyone. Some people should do X and some people should do Y. And so the interpretation was for the fiber food, for the fiber side of this, that might be more personalized. You might have to, some people could go more slowly, some people could go more quickly. We still haven't really teased apart the difference between wheat-based fibers, fruit-based fibers, bean-based fibers. So we think there might be a more personalized or precision nutrition message when it comes to increasing fiber. I think all of us health professionals are very pro-fiber in general, but for the microbiome, it may be more of a personalized precision nutrition message. Whereas the fermented food, it just seems like, hey, we really don't eat much of this. Everybody should, should check some out and try to add some fermented food. This, it, you know, it sounds like, it sounds like, then it sounds like, you know, let's get the diversity in there. So let's get these probiotics and this fermented food in there. And then let's start adding the fermented foods with the fiber. So once they get diversified, right, then you start feeding with the fiber. And it sounds like that, you know, eventually the two ought to go together. In other words, you ought to put the fiber cereal on top Joan, of the Joan, you should be in our research group because that is exactly what we decided to do. And we've just started a new study. Okay. Well, I, you know something? I, I'm, I don't know why you don't <laughs> ask. I'm only in Boston. How long does it take to get to Stanford? It's not that big of a deal. I don't know why you don't ask. And everything's by Zoom these days. Anyway, so why don't we just... I know, right? I don't have to get to Logan. So, right. Joan, uh, our latest study is actually in pregnant women. And we're going to assign them to three things. We're going to assign them to fiber, fermented food, or fermented food first and fiber later to get at just the exact same point that you suggested. And in this next study, what we're actually looking at is the transmission of the mom's microbiome to the infant, which is a really hot topic right now because of things like C-sections, breastfeeding, antibiotics given during pregnancy. So you are on the same page with us. I hope your listeners are excited about how fun this topic is. No, this is so exciting. And, you know, pregnant women and passing it on to the to the, the fetus of the baby. Now we get two for the price there of you one, go. Dr. Christopher. Yeah. I mean, you know, there you go. This is like absolutely fabulous. Let me ask you something about the yogurt. Does the yogurt have to be plain yogurt? Can, can it be like sweetened yogurt? And, and if it's sweetened, does it have to be... Artificially sweetened, or I should say sugar substitutes. Can you tell me about the yogurt? Oh my God. Thank you so much for asking that because there's huge room for mistakes here. Get the plain yogurt. Don't get any of the fruited yogurt. Go to the damn farmer's market, get your own fruit, cut it up, stick it on the plain yogurt. So not only is the sugared yogurt going to be bad because that's quite a sugar delivery system these days, our low fat, healthy yogurt that's guava, pineapple, cherry, strawberry, and all those mixed together. Yeah, those are, I'm a huge, I'm hugely opposed to those sugar ones. That we actually have some data that the artificial sweeteners in themselves are not good for the microbiome. There's a very interesting paper that was published on that. So I wouldn't also get rid of the sugary yogurt to have the artificially sweetened yogurt. I would get rid of the whole thing, just have plain yogurt, and add your own fruit to it. 
Right. And you know, you can use you know, you can add dried fruit because that's yeah. the, the sweetness is concentrated, raisins and um sure. you know, apricots and this way it'll get that sweetness in there. Yeah. About the fermented food, because I think people make a, a mistake about this. Not all sauerkraut is created we equal, isn't that true? Oh, you're right. So sometimes they cheat, they just throw vinegar on it. So the real idea is it has to be it's basically a controlled fermentation. You've added some bacteria, you've allowed it time to chew up the carbohydrate in whatever it's stewing with, and it will create byproducts. Now, a funny thing is, Joan, to follow up on this a little, the Sonnenberg lab is also looking at, was it the actual bacteria in the sauerkraut or kimchi or yogurt? Or those, those bacteria, while they're chewing up the carbohydrates in that food, they create byproducts. And it might actually be some of the byproducts that they produce, or it could have been the fiber in the sauerkraut and the kimchi. I know the yogurt and the kefir and the kombucha aren't going to have any fiber, but there's actually multiple components in those fermented foods. And take that one step further, and I, I don't want to be promoting beer and alcohol, which are fermented. And guess what? You don't consume live bacteria. I know those are fermented beverages, but actually that doesn't work. Sourdough bread, Nope, you baked it, you killed off the bacteria. Tempeh, which is a fermented soybean. Nope, when they cooked up the tempeh at the end of that fermentation process, it wasn't there. So these have to be fermented foods that still contain live bacteria. And if your listeners ever look on the package of a food, they're gonna see a funny number, a CFU number. I don't know if you've ever looked for that on yogurt, but with the rise of interest in the microbiome, we're seeing the CFU is colony, forming units and the numbers are outrageous you might see that this yogurt contains 20 billion colony forming units and you think what where are they I opened the top i'm looking i don't see anything teeming with bacteria here where the hell are the 20 colony 20 billion colony forming units they're really small and so they do have a metric for it so if it is a fermented food that contains live bacteria you should see some kind of indication like that. And the metric, I haven't seen another one yet. Maybe they'll come up with another one that's more intuitive, but it's the CFU, colony forming units. Okay, so so if they're going to get kombucha or they're going to get pickles or they're going to get uh, sauerkraut, we want to be looking for this to make sure that those buggers are active and alive and kicking in these foods before we eat them to get the benefit. Yeah, and I think the producers of this are recognizing that this is a hot selling item. And so if it's truly there, they're going to want to put it on their label. I think I think at some point we're going to have a labeling issue. I bet you and your listeners know that um, the labeling of foods is not always entirely accurate. And they often get called out for saying stuff that isn't true. But even if they even if they put it on the shelf and the colony forming units were there, how long has it been on the shelf? If this is two weeks later, does it still have 20 billion colony forming units or is it down to 10 billion? So I, I think as this field moves forward, we, we should be a little skeptical of what the labels say, but at least looking for the label, looking at the labels and appreciating that it should say something about live bacteria because it could be they just grabbed some cabbage, threw some vinegar on it. It tasted kind of acidic and spicy and said, yep, that's sauerkraut, but it really wasn't the traditionally prepared sauerkraut or kimchi. 
So here we go again. We're going to have to read the labels and look for this and and also look that if the pickle or the sauerkraut has vinegar on it, that's that's not going to get you. It may taste delicious, but it's not going to get you what you want. It's not really a fermented food in the sense that it's going to give you these live and kicking um, probiotics. So this is really exciting. You got me very interested in this. And what about kefir? That's the last thing. Did that, was that also another option? It is. Yeah, mm. that's one of the ones that... Um, I don't think a lot of people drink it. I don't partake of kefir ever, but it, it is one of the more acceptable ones out there. Like there, there is one called natto that's an Asian, really super slimy food. So as we were looking for options for what people would eat, we brought that one up as option number six. And they said, no, 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 I've tried natto, not eating natto. That is a very acquired taste. So there, there are some other options out there. We actually found a bunch of people in our study were now buying gut shots. Have you seen these at all, Joan? Yeah, I've heard about this. Are they good? Are they are what? What do you think? Well, we, yeah, we don't know yet. So they've basically taken the brine that they fermented the sauerkraut or kombucha or something. They've just taken the brine itself, which is just the salty solution. And uh, you're just chugging the liquid which doesn't sound nearly as much fun as eating food or drinking kombucha. Right. So and I you got all that sodium going in there too. I, I don't have a really strong opinion about the brine or the gut shots yet, but I actually think from Justin's analysis of our study that the gut shots were having a positive effect. Uh, I think at that point, we're just getting into too small a numbers, like who liked brine and who didn't like brine and who liked yogurt. So not very compelling evidence, but I think his takeaway was, that some people were using brine uh, or these gut shots and it, it was having a beneficial effect. This is more like a hypothesis. Oh, that means we need to do another study to see if this observation really holds up when that's the real question we're looking at. So I, I'm not going to claim anything conclusive about that now. Well, you know, uh, we're, all, we're all about food and, you know, it's got to taste good. And it, besides the the uh, probiotics, it you know, tastes good. It gives other nutrients. So I'm going with the three Ks here: kombucha, uh, kim- kimchi, and kefir. Okay, Great. I'm going to do. I'm <laughs> going to do. Uh, right there, we go. It's, uh, it's called Dr. Christopher. Here we go. Special K. How does nice. that sound? I like it. I like it. Okay, right. you invented. I'm, I'm going to cite you on that. I'm, Can I follow up? I told you in the beginning that I was going to follow up on the four weeks after the study. I just mm-hmm. want to throw that in there as a plug. Given that the high fiber was a challenge for many people and most of them had not eaten fermented foods, we went back four weeks after the study was over to ask what they were eating. And the average participant was now getting 30 grams of fiber a day and (gasps) eating three servings of fermented food a day. Mm -hmm. They liked it. See? See? When When we did this and we introduced some things, it's not like, oh my God, thank God the study's over and I can go back to my pizza and my white bread and my jelly and all my sugary things. No, a bunch of them actually maintained some of these changes. And this part, I don't know, but I actually think they enjoyed the taste and I think it made them feel better. Oh, and so there's another really, follow-up study, you know, you know, qualitative. Did you like it? I mean, tell me, tell me the honesty. Did you like it? There you go. Well, I want to tell you something. This is so 
fascinating. And, and this study has been cited over and over again. It just came out, and people are going crazy over this study. And we are so lucky today to have you, to come on spot on, to explain, you know, that it, it sounds like, um, you know, it's, it's more than just the probiotics. Obviously, it's more than just the fiber. Uh, it's a healthy diet, and maybe adding these two. And, I, and when you come out with the pregnant uh, women's study. I want to figure out what happened with that and see what's going on. That's really exciting. So thank you for so much for sharing your uh, wisdom here on this. And um, I'm going to do the three K's and, you know, so maybe we can do an N of one and just do a study on me. <laughs> I love it. And yep. So we'll have you report back and you'll have to sign a consent form and we'll call the NIH. And Joan, you have some fun with that. This has been a blast talking to you <laughs> today. And I want to thank Dr. Christopher Gardner from Stanford. And you keep on working with that poop. Okay, sir? Absolutely. Poop okay. forever. Thank you again for being on Spot On. Okay, Joan. Take care. Bye-bye. Spot On is supported by the Boston University Sargent College's Master of Science degree in Nutrition program. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about this fabulous nutrition graduate program. Thank you for listening to Spot On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This way you'll get every new episode every week. And by the way, leave us a nice review. And can you also like us on our Spot On Facebook page and suggest topics for future episodes? Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joan Salji Blake. And oh, by the way, can you send this episode to five of your friends? Do I ask a lot of you?